Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 55 for Picard, season one, episode eight, Broken Pieces. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. I'm Sabriel Maston. We are Borg. Well, that's not terrifying at all. <laughs> and joining us on the show this week, we have a longtime Star Trek fan, Transporter Lock listener, and podcasting veteran, Vice Admiral Charlene Schmidt. <laughs> Hello. How are you all? Good. How are you? Fantastic. I am. Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm trying to stay as a uh, coronavirus-free as possible, with LA being one of the hardest hit at the moment. Yeah, I can hear that. I'm in Chicago, and things are a little scary right now. How are you doing, Bree? Oh, I'm up here in North Dakota, there, and yeah, and we don't have much going on here. Well, <laughs> yeah, don't you know? <laughs> oh gosh, Yet. I need to work on my Fargo accent. Apparently, I'm the only one here who doesn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shar used to live up here with me in Fargo. What? That's right. Yes, we used to do Voyager marathons from time to time when I lived what? there. Yes. I I had no idea you two went so far back. This is amazing. Yeah, back to what, 2013, Bree? Uh, roughly. Uh, that's how we met. I ha- Someone happened to share a Tumblr post of yours on the Fargo, or excuse me, the Star Trek subreddit. And I went and looked at it. It was a Janeway quote, and it said, West Fargo. And I'm like, oh. <gasps> yeah and then lo and behold we met up for coffee shortly after that and then bam friendship was made yeah but you're no longer in fargo you're in la yes i am strange as that is (laughs) (laughs) we decided to move from the tundra to the desert spend a summer in phoenix and then ultimately landed in la life is weird (laughs) <laughs> life is many things, including weird. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your life with Trek. How long have you been a Trekkie? What's your favorite series? Okay, well, I've been a Star Trek fan pretty much as, blo- like, as long as I've been alive. Pretty much, I would say six was the marker. That was the year that TNG premiered. My dad, in anticipation of that, was watching original series reruns. And just because he was watching it, I kind of watched it. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. They're out in space. And I thought it was awesome that Uhura was the one woman on the bridge. I thought she was cool. And even though I didn't understand Star Trek fully at that age, I liked it for what it was enough to keep watching it. And then it's been so much fun as I'm getting older, going back and reliving these things that I thought I knew and seeing entirely new elements of it over and over again. That's kind of the beauty of Star Trek is you constantly get to evolve what you kind of attach to. Yeah, like how many times have watched something as older, you know, new perspectives on life. And Definitely. Very much. So I've pretty much had Star Trek in my life, my whole life. I mean, that's what got me through adolescence for crying out loud. And mainly thanks to Voyager, which I would probably say is my favorite series. Although Picard is up there. I'm really enjoying this. Spoiler alert. So (laughs) it's good times. Uh, Yeah, Captain Janeway is my homegirl. I love her to pieces. Wow. No, I liked Voyager a lot more than a lot of the critics say, but even I will admit that very few people will rank it among their favorite series. <laughs> it's my endearing favorite. I love it for all that it is. Warts and all, lizard babies and all. I don't care. <laughs> I, I recognize that it might not be the objective best Star Trek series. Don't care. Don't care. It just had that perfect timing in my life to where I attached to it and it was everything I needed it to be. Uh, you've also been a part of a couple podcasts around it. And other things. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I've been podcasting for a long freaking time. <laughs> yeah, I did a Voyager podcast for several years called To the Journey on Trek FM. It's currently, uh, got, it's still going, but with different hosts. And then I co-hosted Punch It with the same co-host I did To the Journey with, Tristan Riddell. We did that for three and a half years. And we just really recently pulled the plug on it because we want to do other projects, which have yet to be named, but we're working on it. Well, that's very exciting, and I'm glad that you're able to return to the podcasting realm temporarily to join us for Transporter Lock. 
Well, thanks so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Uh, we've been trying to get this going for a little while now, and so it's good to finally be here with you guys. I love Transporter Lock. You guys are really good at what you do. So I'm excited to be talking some Picard with you, especially this episode. So much is happening. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How yeah. long have you guys got? <laughs> yeah, this was a dense episode. It, it feels like all the threads are tying together. All the questions are being answered, and it's almost like a bottleneck where all eight episodes led into this, and now this leads into the last two episodes. It's like it's narrowing, and now it's going to widen again. <laughs> I don't know if all the questions got answered, because it certainly raised some new ones, but we did get a lot of exposition in this one. Yeah, like if, uh, you're a long time, if you're a, lo a long-time listener, you usually used to do TLDRs, and like we decided not to do one for this one, but today I guess I'll do a quick one. We got a bunch of answers. There you go. That's good. <laughs> good. Thanks, Bree. No and this has been Transporter Lock. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would like to start 14 years ago, where everything begins, and we finally learn what it is the Jat Vash are all about with the admonition on the grief planet. Wow. Yes, finally. <laughs> finally, we get a, a little more, just because the Romulans being the mysterious beasts that they are, we finally get what's really freaking going on, and especially with... Um, oh, God, what is her name? I'm blanking out now. This is what uh, happens when you Nerissa? Nerissa, oh, thank okay. you. Yeah. Really understanding kind of her role in all of this, because that's been murky. Yeah, other than her uh, wanting to make out with her brother. Uh, yeah, <laughs> gosh. Uh, the incestuous vibes are not working for me. I really kind of hope we just can move on from that. Please, please. <laughs> They're on different ships now, so less of that. But yeah, we finally uh, got some answers and how Ramda ties into this as well. Her aunt, it yes. turns out. Yes, and O yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, so Narissa and her aunt and O were all in the Jatvash, all at the admonition. And as were many other Romulans, all women. Are the Jatvash exclusively women? Uh, no, because no, at least uh, identified, who knows. But in the first battle fight, the guards or the people who attacked Dodge, some of them were men. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering if they were actual Jat Vash or if they were just like Talshiar foot soldiers. It's possible. Because uh, it seemed very deliberate that all the people in that round of the admonition were women. Uh, last week, we got a little hint that um, about this week, I was thinking uh, Nerissa, when she was fighting Elnor, mentioned something about these Jat Vash and um, Kowat Muat. Or I think that's how it's pronounced. Kowat Muat. The she mentioned, like, this is not how you're supposed to fight. And she recognized him right away. So there's a connection there, too. Yeah, and what's that about? Well, I, I, they're both Romulan sex. And I don't think it's that unusual that a, a Romulan would know what the sex are in their own culture. Yeah, but I feel like there's a connection here. Uh, I mean, it's not implausible. Of course not. But also, the, like, the Jat Vash were secretive even to Romulans. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Maybe there's more to that. Or maybe we're reading too far into it. Who knows at this point? Mm. Yeah. I find it interesting that the Jat Vash are putting so much faith in this historical record they found that is, by their own admission, hundreds of millennia old. I mean, there's no factual evidence to support anything that they saw in this mind meld experience. To them, the facts is getting memories implanted into you, I guess. I mean, it almost seems like a form of brainwashing where they can't deny it. It's in their head, and so they have to act on it. Maybe so. I mean, it certainly seems traumatic, their vision of what's happening. Yeah, I put out another warning this, this week, because I watched this right away on Thursday, and like, there are some graphic images again here. This is the time of Romulan, or Vulcan, I guess, possibly, uh, and they're ripping part of their face off. Yeah. Yeah, there's self-mutilation, self-harm, there's suicide. It is very dem demonstrative of just how powerful these visions are and i guess that's what they were trying to prove to us but man some trigger warnings would be nice it really would be i don't care personally that they're going there that's fine but a little bit of warning would be nice just in case mm -hmm. so if the shot fosh have been around for so long and even rafi mentions in her recap that you know 30 years ago nunian soon produces data how come we never saw the Tal Shiar or the Jat Vash make a move against Data's life? We don't know that we didn't. 
there Maybe. was an episode of TNG where a Romulan woman, like an ambassador, was on the Enterprise. Data's day. Yeah. Maybe she was related to that. I didn't think about that. Maybe. Or maybe they just didn't see him as a threat. Maybe he was just a little too primitive. He didn't cross the threshold. Yeah, I guess. Mm. That's the only thing my brain did. (laughs) And and there were some conflicting um, messages here that I hope you can help me understand, where they said that previously, like hundreds of millennia ago, Synthetic life was created and it evolved and it did not go well, which to me implies the synthetic life created the some sort of an uprising. But then there was also the implication that sim- similar to Zephram Cochran, when you create a certain kind of synthetic life, somebody shows up and it's not good. So is the threat the, th- the synthetic life or is the threat the people who show up? That's a very good question, isn't it? Is it chicken or well, egg? <laughs> they alluded to uh, when they were having a little confabs, you know, like when... Uh, Earth did their warp. The Romulan sh- or the Vulcan showed up. Yeah. Uh, and it changed everything. And so maybe, it, I mean, they kind of, to me, they alluded to a higher or another being, being you don't want to see in this case. Right. But uh, that's what I'm trying to figure out is I, I feel like they've said both things in this episode that they're, are they, is the synthetic life the threat or is it what it causes to show up? Maybe it's both. Hmm. Just, I don't know. You create the synthetic life that reaches a certain threshold of sentience. Then it summons whoever <laughs> is uh-huh. out there yet to be known and seen. And as a result, causes the sense to revolt. Hmm. Maybe. Speaking of revolt, why did the Jatvash wait? I mean, I can understand why they used Mars to create this ban. That makes perfect sense to me. But why did they have to wait until doing so would also cripple the rescue of their own people? Uh, it might have been just poor timing. Uh, it took that long for Commodore O to get to where she needs to be. Hmm. Possibly. It strikes me also that the Zatvash don't necessarily care so much about their own people as long as the ends justify the means in terms of reaching their own goals. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely agree with that. When I mean, even Narissa, I think she said trillions of lives are at stake. So what's a few billion Romulans? That's right? true. We also learn about the interplay when the Borg tried to as- assimilate a Jatva ship. Yeah, apparently um, they had a little <laughs> Ramda. And what happened on admonition um, caused the collective to sever the ship from the from the collective, uh, much like when Hugh brought individual individuality back to them. Uh, they just cut yeah. it off. Yeah, the weight of her grief and despair, the trauma and PTSD of the admonition when it infiltrated the Borg cube upon her assimilation, which apparently had never happened. They had never assimilated a shot Vash before. It was just so weighty that the whole ship started to suffer a critical failure, which never occurred to me that yeah, you assimilate all the knowledge and information that an individual has into the collective, but you also assimilate their memories, their trauma. And I, I wouldn't even think that the Borg would have the capacity to be crippled by something like that. You would think a race like so focused on attaining perfection would find some way to filter that out so they could be a little more focused and, sorry Vulcans, but logical about the whole thing. Maybe it's one of those things where they cut it off now and like, well, they can just sit there for a while while we think about this. And if we're in the area, we'll recollect them once we figured out how to turn this off. Oh, maybe. But you might also think that they would have assimilated some mental health counselors along the way <laughs> and would have those skills at their disposal. You would think, right? Because they, I, I don't know. But then on the other hand, we have learned over time that the Borg do discriminate about who they assimilate. Yeah, so they won't. They won't take the K's on, and uh, so maybe these guys just—they're too much at this point. They're not worth it. They're a little extra. Well, <laughs> a little also, extra. A little extra, but also like this sound. This admonition. This message sounds like it's a much higher thing than normal. Just beliefs. This is like some kind of horrible traumatic experience where maybe you know, like of this grand voice. Maybe even or galactic, maybe even universal scale, uh, oh, or right? maybe 
even a uh, prophecy of sorts in the Borg or even they won't mess with that. Right. Yeah, we've yet to see, in my opinion, the Borg really be integrated into this storyline. Like, they're not being targeted by the Jatvash. They are not a synthetic life form in the sense that we're thinking of it. It's really just been a set where things happen. And I suspect we're going to see more in the next two weeks. But so far, it seems like it's almost like a B-thread. Well, we better see more because I have so many questions about what happened in this episode. Uh, oh, well, I, I, I had this funny little thought based on something I saw on Reddit, like uh, the poor queen in the Delta Quadrant waking up, drinking her coffee. All of a sudden she gets a notification like someone has logged in t- in the Beta Quadrant <laughs> to your account. <laughs> no, I had 2FA installed. <laughs> be hilarious. Yeah, we saw the return of Seven of Nine, which a few weeks ago I never would have predicted. And I really loved when she showed up because Elnor was in a spot. And oh, and by the way, Sabriel, you were completely correct that Elnor did find his way to Hugh's command council did or whatever. Did you read the Q&A? And... What? Did you read the Q&A about that? What Q&A? Where? What? Oh, uh, go ahead and finish your thought and I'll tell you after. No, go ahead. Uh, Chabon, uh, Chabon, the guy who does the showrunner, he answered oh, in the Q and A. Yeah, he answered a Q and A. He apologized to fans because people were like, "How did Elnor? Get, why here? What?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm sorry. We had to make some edits. We filmed some stuff. We had some scenes, but we had to make some edits, and that was to go." And there was a, basically Hugh gave him directions to his office, kind of thing. Ah, okay. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. But then. he apologized for not not being in the episode. They just like had to make some cuts. Okay. But when Seven of Nine showed up and Elnor just gives her a big hug, and that reminds us that Elnor really is a kid. He's very young, and he was in the fight for his life up until she showed up. And we also have seen Seven be very hard ever since she lost Icheb. But when he gives her that hug, when Elnor gives her that hug, she softens a little bit. She's like, it's okay, I'm here. And we get to see that maternal instinct of her again. Yep, I think she has another kid. Oh, I mean, she's going to adopt Elnor, more or less. Oh. Like I, I see these two working together going forward. Yeah, I wouldn't object to that. I mean, uh, I could see him being in the Rangers. He's certainly got the fighting skill set for it. And he and they both lost fight causes. for lost causes. Yeah, <laughs> right. So he's a perfect match, and these two already have quite a bond. I definitely see that in the cards. I love their interactions. Like when she first gets there, uh, she's like, where's Hugh? So clearly that was a badge she had given Hugh in the past. But also um, he tackle hugs her. And that, that reaction that you just mentioned, just the way he she goes from where's Hugh to, oh, oh okay, 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 we got this. Yeah. And then the his questions, or he was like a kid, uh, curiously asking, like, is this where the queen lived? And this, this? And she's like, I could answer these questions or I could just do this. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then even yeah. afterwards, he's like, are you going to assimilate me now? But he didn't say it almost in fear. No, it, was more like, it wasn't. I had heard this uh, about Borg. Uh, very innocent sounding to me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I was also intrigued by the implication, as you pointed out, that Seven and Hugh had had previous interactions because we saw her previously patrolling the sector that Elnor's from, but apparently she had been to the Borg cube before as well. Or to at least talk to Hugh. But Nerissa also knew she she saw the badge and she's like, I have a suspicion of which, a fender stranger. I think I know which one. So she yeah. seven has a reputation or they've met before. Mm-hmm. Or both. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have a feeling seven's made her rounds around here before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the only Borg cube that's ever been retrieved by anybody affiliated with Starfleet. And so I suspect that a lot of XBs know about it and have shown up here and there. I loved this part where Seven is decides to basically be this short short range like a boar queen. I love that she's going through these difficult emotions. Like she knows like uh, she's like they won't uh Elnor's like just do it. Well she's thinking about it and she's like they won't want to be released and I might not want to release them. There's something very important here when Seven connects herself to the cube and she states herself. She doesn't say we are the Borg. She says we are Borg. Yeah. Like, and as in like, this is an identifier, not a name. 
we are not a collective. We are, we are people who are Borg. And there's a very important subtle distinction here, which, uh, I guess there, there, I just, this very important distinction. This is her, she is making her own little collective here. Oh, I don't want to say making her own collective, but she is experiencing her own little collective. It's away from the Borg collective. Mm-hmm. This brings up so many questions that I have because when she does plug in to the collective, is she just communicating with the XBs on this cube? Is she tapping into the entire collective? Like, is there, is it only like a, you know, an all or nothing kind of a street? Uh, what what happened here? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was localized because this Borg cube has been severed from the collective. And I think she said that she was only creating a local network. Okay. That was what, like, I, I, in my mind, that's what I thought happened. But there was enough doubt in my mind to make me wonder, hmm, well, is the rest of the collective now aware at least that this thing is active again? Well, that's part of my little joke there about the Borg Queen noticed someone logged into your account. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They could take it on to... If anyone, every story writer in the future wants to probably run with that. Like they opened up a new branch of potential storylines, assuming the Borg are even a thing anymore. Right? We don't even know. Yeah. Because they destroyed the transwarp, at least parts of the transwarp conduit in Endgame at the end of Voyager. So how much has that crippled the Borg, generally speaking? Yeah. I was surprised well no i i can understand why seven did this she was hesitant to do so until she saw that the borg that were in stasis their lives are being threatened she sees those as her brethren or children and she wanted to do anything to protect them even if it meant becoming a queen and yet the last time she made her own little collective didn't go so well in the voyager episode (laughs) survival instinct with two of nine three of nine and four of nine yeah well maybe some of that hesitation and just knowing the risk (laughs) and then that brings up the other questions I have, which is, what did this do to Seven? And I really hope they explore that in the last two episodes we're going to get. I, I, they kind of did something like this a few weeks ago, too, where they hint at something, we touch it barely, and then like an episode or two later, we fill in everything. And like, here, uh, when Elnor asks, like, are you going to simulate me now? She doesn't answer, but then in the Borg voice, she says, or Annika still has work to do. Who or what was saying that? I felt like it was very important that she said Annika, not Seven. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Why yeah, do you think that so, is, Char? I don't know. <laughs> but it, I don't know. It gave me a little chill just because Seven doesn't really acknowledge Annika. She is Seven. She's worked very hard to be Seven. And so what is really going on here? <laughs> the last time we heard Annika was with her former lover. Uh... The uh, on um, we know who you mean on free cloud, free cloud. yeah, um, and that was a very vulnerable moment, uh, or so or she... or reflected a time in her past when she was being vulnerable. So, so is it an emotional vulnerability that she expresses that she refers to herself as Annika in those moments only, uh, potential or something like that? But I just the the board, the collective. Or this new collective. I don't want to say... Uh, we'll just say the Artifact Collective. How about that? That works. Um, like I said, how it ties into... She says, we are Borg instead of we are the Borg. Uh, stating their identity. And here, Seven is still very much an individual, even if she was temporarily their queen. Uh-huh. Uh, I think whole, saying calling her Annika uh, might be some kind of reflection of that. Yeah. And, they, and it also might be the collective saying that the value that she is going to bring from here on out is not in her role as a Borg queen or even as a Borg. It is as a human. You know, she bridges that gap very well between the two cultures and she needs to perhaps reclaim some of that humanity that she said that she's fighting for every day. True. Yeah. Uh, Part of this makes you wonder how much the Romulans don't know that Borg can survive in space. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Index Q and A. I mentioned um, Shabon, 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 Michael Shabon, Shabon. Shabon. Okay. Uh, yeah. People asked, like, mentioned this, and he's like, he said something like, "Well, I think some of the initials, like, basically the way some of the Borg were pulled out of their alcoves, that probably killed some." But the way he worded it made me made me think like there are plenty just waiting out in space, waiting to be 
either beam back or tr- or tractor beam tractor locked back into there or tractor uh, tractor beam back. Right, because we saw them all just walking along the Enterprise dish in Star Trek: First Contact without any sort of spacesuit, and they were absolutely fine. Yeah, right. Like, when the doors open, Queen Seven yelled out, "No!" But then after the Romulans left and they captured Narissa, which is a great scene, um, yeah, she seemed much calmer and like we are in control of the cube. There was not many left on that ship, but I feel like she's going to be reclaiming a bunch of the people who are in space. Probably. Well, we didn't see many life signs on that digital display of hers, but at the same time, if she was in control of the cube, why didn't she just close the airlock? It's possible there was some kind of override. I mean, it has I to be. She was busy doing too much else. Yeah. Or maybe getting used to the interface. She's never been queen before, as far as we know. Oh, that's true. I mean, that could be totally overwhelming and traumatic. It's like when I had to jump to an Apple UI, I'm like, it still takes me a minute to figure things out, even if I know how it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One little side note I want to mention is I loved the special effect where it, as Seven is kind of setting up, getting ready to become the queen, she has like almost that Rubik's Cube kind of twisty hand motion and the special effects that went along with that. That was super cool. And I imagine it was really hard to do. For all these holographic displays. Yeah. Like, that'd be weird. Like, okay, you just put your hands in the air, pretend you're tugging on this. Or moving right. This. I really want to see some behind-the-scenes footage about how they're making this work for the actors because it's so good and fluid. I, I mean, it, it just it looks like it's really there, but we know it's not. It's funny you should mention that. My second viewing here in this episode, I watched her eyes during this moment where she's got this thing between the camera and her. Uh-huh. She's looking at her left hand entirely, but she's oh, her really? face is at the middle between her hands, but her eyes are t- looking at her left hand. Hmm, I wonder why. Yeah. Uh, okay. I find that just interesting. Are there some but instructions any- on her hand? Yeah. Uh, I find like, those, those those moments always interesting. Like, like How many times where actors have to look at a green screen to talk? Like, if you look, sometimes they have, um, the set will have a ball on a stick and say, here's the monster that you're looking at. Uh-huh. <laughs> just so that everyone's uh-huh. looking at the right direction. Uh, so I'm wondering how holographic displays work in that. Yeah. Well, I remember an interview with Harry Kim where he said that he had his own little gestures for each action he had to make at his tactical console. So when the captain said, shields up, he's like, oh, that's when I draw a Christmas tree. (laughs) Ah! So maybe Jerry Ryan has something similar. She's like, wait, what am I doing now? Oh, yeah, I trace a, I draw a little kitty in space and then I make a (laughs) smiley face. And yeah, that's right. (laughs) I love it. So now that she is in control of the board cube, what do you think she's going to do with it? Well, she gets to torture Nerissa <laughs> in her own I board. Th- yeah, that'll be fun. No, I think we saw Nerissa beam out. No, that was the last episode. She beamed somewhere else. Here, the at the end, the XBs surrounded her. She was shooting them, and then the scene pulled away of her them all pulling, grabbing her down, and very zombie-like. Yeah, I saw that, and I watched the episode twice. At the end, it, there was a glimmer under all that body swarm of Borg pigpiling on her. I think she beamed away. Gotcha. I missed that. Oh, really? Yeah, I did too. Oi. Yeah. Because even after that, Seven of Nine said that they were gone. I think she meant everybody, including Narissa. Hmm. Okay. I thought maybe she was, Narissa was just going to get smothered by the Borg and decimated. Like, even at the beginning of the episode, she was like, uh, I would have made a Excellent drone, a better drone than you, Ramda. <laughs> Which is a weird thing to be competitive about. <laughs> right? Oh. Really? You're going to die on that hill? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're going to see the Borg Cube show up at the Synth Homeworld. Yeah. Oh. It seems that's where everything is leading, right? I think everything is going that way. The Romulans yeah. are there. Like, they all evacuated the Borg Cube. And like, and Nerissa is all telling like her subcommander, her uh, centurion, like, what's going to happen as he gets killed um and we see all these ships flying away we see Narek is still following the, the la serena um the uh clancy admiral clancy was saying we're going to ds12 but uh i can see a quick change in course <laughs> uh everything i think everything's going to head oh yeah. and i bet you Riker will show up there too <laughs> hey, you never know. Wouldn't that be a, a cool surprise? Because he said uh, last week, he's like, I'm still on the active, active reserve. reserve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 
Ken, like you were saying, I, I did not expect to see Seven again this season. I thought it was kind of done and we had her calling card for future reference. Who knows? Riker could show up again or Captain Worf or who? I mean, I don't know. I am open to any possibility at this point just because they've done a semi-decent job of keeping secrets from us. They've told uh-huh. us what they want to share with us. And so I feel like anything goes at this point. Show me. I mean, I would hate to, I would hate to see an actual Borg cube show up because <laughs> if a Borg synthesis, if they assimilated a synth, I don't know where that would go, but it would not be any place good. <laughs> <laughs> things really would blow up then, wouldn't it? Wow. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Before, two things before we get out of the Borg cube. Uh, one, we saw a really cool regeneration sequence. Oh, those little, little bugs. Bots? Yeah. That was so cool. I love that. Uh, finally, I should get to see it in action. In the original series, they just show like things unmelting or whatever like that. Yeah. But now we get to like, see a zoom in shot when they have like uh, CGI, better CGI and whatnot. I thought that was really cool. It was. But the other thing I want to mention is Seven's connection with Echeb. I can see her being influenced by Janeway and Janeway's mother, mother-like matronly um, rep- er, relationship with Seven. Uh-huh. Everything, just, uh, just that, that that we can see her learning, having learned a bunch from Janeway. Heck yeah, which is super cool. It's very much a parenting kind of relationship where I think in Voyager, we all kind of wondered, is Janeway going to make any progress with Seven whatsoever? Hey, guess what? Turns out she was absorbing some things. Yeah. It's like the actors may not have gotten along the best, but their characters, I think, did, <laughs> they did a great job in acting and yeah. over the seasons and showing that relationship. Just like how we finally saw Soji and Jurati meet this week, I would love to see Soji and Seven meet because they're both trying to claim or reclaim their humanity after being something less natural. Yeah, that would be a very interesting conversation, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good segue into the next bit. One of the earlier opening scenes is Soji and Picard talking. Oh, this wore my black little heart. How it about you guys? Beautiful. It was wonderful. Uh, this is exactly what Kestra was telling her last episode. It's like, you could have Picard if you want. And so she's yeah. taking the time to get to know what about him and Data. Yeah. Oh, it was so touching. I didn't even, as I was watching it, I didn't realize just how much it was going to impact. But the, one of the biggest takeaways I got out of this that's resonated in my mind is this whole scene and just how well it's done. And this needed to happen for these characters. They really, at this point, did need to solidify some relationship. And so I love that they bonded over Data. Yeah. Soji asks Picard if he loved Data. Jean-Luc hesitates a moment, but basically his answer is, I suppose so, in my way. After a little bit more talking, Soji just blurts out, like, he loved you. Yeah. It's basically because Picard mentioned, like, well, he didn't experience emotions the same way. Which says, he loved you, talking about Data. And kind of the unsaid part is in his way, mirroring back what Jean-Luc just said. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think Picard hesitated to say that he loved Data? I mean, I know he has difficulty expressing his emotions. We saw him get a little better about that at the end of All Good Things. But he has spoken so highly of Data for so long in this episode about a dear friend who he misses 30 years. And now he seems hesitant to say, of course I loved him. This is Jean-Luc Picard. He's not good at getting emotionally vulnerable. Uh, he even says it here. Basically, he's bad at sharing his emotions. He said he said that a few times over the course of the series. It reminds me a little bit of earlier Picard, in a way, where he's yeah. a little bit cut off. I mean, he's almost regressed just a little bit in that sense. So, yeah, he's. I mean, time and time again, he's bad with emotions. It took him to the last episode of the show, or TNG, to finally play poker with us crewmates as friends (laughs) right right it takes a lot to get him there and then any little step backward is a big step for him still though i'm surprised that not only okay he has trouble expressing emotions but he couldn't even say definitively that data loved him and yet data gave his very life to save his captain that is the ultimate expression of love and he didn't even seem to recognize it i don't know if he didn't recognize it it's just he also knew data and he didn't have emotions and at least in the same way as people did. Uh, 
you know, like when you're working with androids, it's a very different thing. Like you don't know how much of it is his circuits aligned in a way that <laughs> made him feel close to him. I kind of uh, feel like as an audience, the writers wanted us to just be screaming at the TV saying, yes, of course, Data loved you, you fool. <laughs> I would agree with that. It does seem odd that, and this is something that goes way back to the TNG movies. This is not new, but we're kind of just pretending the emotion chip never existed. Well, well even with the emotion chip, you don't know how much of it is subroutines and whatnot. Exactly. Like, I think it got him closer, but just how much of that was just programming and how much of it was real, actual emotion. We, we never and, really got a definitive answer on that. No, and even Soji's kind of feeling that right now. Like, is anything she's feeling real? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, she her world has been turned upside down so many times through the course of this whole thing. <laughs> in the last uh, day or two, in world. <laughs> right, yeah. I find it very interesting. She mentioned how... Now that she's tapped into just a little bit of her repressed memories, she's learning so much more. She can access that much more. Well, what does she know now? And where is she getting it from? I mean, one thing that Data never had was wireless communication. He had to (laughs) physically plug a port into his head anytime he wanted to download something. But it seems like Soji is just osmotically soaking up everything she was around on the board cube. She's a well, Wi-Fi hotspot. <laughs> <laughs> Very convenient. We also don't know how many times maybe she, uh, those times she was sleeping, maybe she had equivalent experiences where she was just soaking up all the Borg information while she could, but wasn't conscious for it. Hmm. That's a thought. Maybe mom AI was entering her into a download mode. Yeah. Maybe. Hmm. You know, there's one th- other thing Picard did in this episode that both surprised and disappointed me. And that was that he laid all his cards on the table for Admiral Clancy. Cause he did this once before and it made its way back to Commodore O. And even Rafi said, I don't remember you being so loose lipped Picard. <laughs> so I, I would think that Picard would have learned by this point in the season that he really can't trust Starfleet. I mean, yes or no, maybe he still believes in them. Uh, now he had evidence proving his point to Clancy. Uh, and he even said, like, last episode in this step, or beginning of this episode, like, we have to go to Starfleet. Like, we, this is bigger than us now. Uh, we basically, who else are they going to get? Are they gonna get? And he, okay, I actually wrote this down too. He still sees himself as Starfleet. When he's talking to Rios at the end of the episode, he doesn't say Starfleet failed you. He said, or things like that. He says, we betrayed Vandermeer, his former captain. We gave away to fear. He doesn't say Starfleet did that. That's he still sees himself as Starfleet. Point. Even if they don't always hold up to what he thinks is right, he still he is still Starfleet to himself. And that's because he doesn't see Starfleet as Starfleet. You know, he represent he Picard represents what Starfleet should be and least, what Yeah, I I agree. At least their actions is not Starfleet, but he I think he's in their core, they're still there. Yeah. Uh, we also saw a lot of interactions this week with Rafi and with the various versions of Rios. <laughs> this was so great. Uh, like when the when she well first she's like she's trying to find Chris Rios and she sits in the chair and she thinks she's talking to him and then she's talking to this she turns out she's uh, the hologram's talking back and then she's like oh Jesus Christ <laughs> like when she realizes she's talking to a hologram um, the navigation hologram. And that one is so much fun. He's just the, oh, oh my gosh, oh, so happy. <laughs> yeah, he's so much fun. And just getting them all together in one room, pr- pretty much trying to stage an intervention of sorts with a bunch of holograms was <laughs> definitely the, the more comical part of this whole thing. It was so you great know, just I- seeing the different incarnations just to show just how much talent this actor has. Yeah, it reminds me of Harry Wells from the TV show The Flash. Have you ever seen it? Never watched no. it. So there is a multiverse. There are multiple Earths. And basically in every season, they have a character named Harry Wells who like either leaves or dies or becomes incapacitated. So they just go to a different multiverse and get that Earth's Wells to be th- in this season. Huh. So, so it's the same actor every season, but it's a different version. Like, one time he's a science fiction author. Another time he's a detective like Sherlock Holmes. Another time he's a genius like Albert Einstein. Huh. Wow, that's interesting. 
<laughs> yeah, it really demonstrates the actor's versatility. And they're doing the same thing here where there are six different versions of Rios. Five of them are holograms and one of them is the human captain. Yeah, it's the wicked. I love it. The engineering hologram being Scottish is perfect. Right? Come on. <laughs> oh, I hadn't even put two and two together. That's brilliant. <laughs> How can you I not love it? Love it? <laughs> I don't know that putting them all in the same room would have occurred to me. If I had been in Rafi's position, I, you know, like she went to each hologram and said at least three times, where's Chris? And the answer was he's in his quarters. And yet she never, it took her a while to make a beeline to the quarters and just go right to the source. Well, I think she was just still trying to gather information, knowing that he was basically going to tell her to piss off. Yeah. So- oh, I think I think she did the exact right thing. What I'm saying is that if I were in her shoes, that would not have occurred to me. I would not have been so creative. I would have gone right to the source, unarmed with all the facts that she eventually had. Mm, yeah. Well, Rafi is a very cool character. Does not, I think, get the credit she deserves because I think a lot of people write her off as that crazy conspiracy theory lady who's just a druggie. And no, she is brilliant. She is wicked smart. She thinks outside the box. She thinks of the things that other people don't. Yeah. And here we got to see her explore unraveling the conspiracy. She's like discovering it with these holograms. She's unraveling that and uh, figuring out what's up with Rios. Yeah. Oh, that was so good. And I just felt so good for her, too. She's not crazy. (laughs) She was onto something. It was real. She even said something like that. She's like, uh, this is like the, the navigation hologram, something like, how are you feeling? She's like, uh, how do you feel about that information? She's like, this is great. I mean, in a bad, terrible, evil conspiracy way, but this is great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or when she was speaking with the engineering hologram and she started to put things together, you would put eight stars in one place to leave a message like a warning. And when she said that, I had chills down my spine because I was like, oh my God, this is a civilization. That I was able to move entire stars just to leave a warning. Yeah. How much more terrible must the thing be that they're warning us about? And when she said that, I'm like, oh, crap just got real. Yeah, if you think of it that way. And later on, near the end of the episode, Picard says, like, yeah, but we have, they don't have what we have. We have like compassion and, and technology. And I'm like, like, and they had hubris, and uh, you are showing hubris. <laughs> yeah. Sheer effing hubris. Uh-huh. Yeah, but we have openness and love and companionship <laughs> and all the other things that you find at the end of every JRPG. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this warning of the Conclave of Eight, which turns out to be stars, maybe maybe there's more deeper meaning elsewhere, but at least stars as the first part, made me think of um, in Japan after the... A tsunami that hit in 2011. People, there, there were articles about these markers that have been left up on the hills behind town as warnings to future generations of how high the water can get. Oh, and wow. this warning uh, was ignored, of course, by younger people, built the whole entire towns and uh, low areas. But the fact that these older civilizations, these older, older versions of themselves, left these warning messages. And now they're not being heated again. It just reminded me of that situation. And now it's happening here in Star Trek, too. It just goes to show human nature. We just do not learn from history, do we? Mm-mm. Apparently galactic nature. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> See, but also these eight stars are so hidden that Starfleet has no idea about them. Which makes me wonder, where are they? Yeah, it's <laughs> impressive that you can have such a rare astronomical configuration and yet so few people have discovered it yeah Uh, that and like i always answer space is really big like you may you may think like the walk to the chemist is a long way but space is very very big well like gerardi said that's why they call it space because there's so much of it and there's it's so empty (laughs) yes yes and did you guys watch the preview for the next episode no stop okay not saying a word (laughs) <laughs> but it's let's, really let's weird talk that about... Tuvok is now in control of the board collective <laughs> well you know he, do, he does what he does he mm-hmm. was assimilated once yeah so. and the Vaudoir what <laughs> but let's talk more about Rios because Rafi was gathering all these facts but finally she sits down with him and we as an audience along with Rafi learn a lot about Rios's past 
Yes, he is one broken soul. The poor guy. My heart broke for him. Yeah, I can see how he takes responsibility for what happened when he shouldn't. And is to see, you know, when he pulled that photo out, I the first thing I thought when I saw it was, oh, it's his dad. Not because they looked similar, but because of the familiarity and camaraderie that you see. Like, you would never see a photo of Picard and Riker so physically intimate like that not before last week's episode you know <laughs> right yeah no they obviously had a a very close important relationship and then what went down uh, just like what you said uh how could it not have uh totally broken him down knowing that he uh he did what he had to do and takes full responsibility even though he probably shouldn't yeah but how and especially since he and he did see him as a father figure. And to lose him so suddenly and tragically, oh, I would not have been able to stay in Starfleet either. Right. And all this time, he's trying to figure out basically the meaning of life. He's researching existentialism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the books that he's got, I was, I wrote down the titles. Like, he's got The Stranger, Death in the Afternoon, Casebook on Existentialism, Fear and Trembling, The Sickness Unto Death, The Rebel, The Tragic Sense of Life, and Sirach and Existentialism. He's so hurt, and he's trying to find some meaning out there. Yeah. After he had to, he had to basically tell the world that his captain killed himself for no reason—a man that he loved very much. Well, yeah. just like Rafi putting these five holograms in one room, Rios is also trying to put the parts of himself back together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and meanwhile, she's trying to overcome her own demons. That's something I really appreciate about this show. Just generally speaking, is these. A lot of these characters, in fact, maybe all of them are broken in some way, and they're trying to put the pieces back together. And this is a very big departure from the quote-unquote perfect form of uh, humanity we see in TNG. And a lot of people have criticized Picard because of that, because it's so dark. And why are people drinking and smoking and doing drugs in the future when haven't we overcome these things? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Many model Starfleet officers have. But you know what? Humanity has been doing this for as long as we've existed. It's not going to go away. The message is about overcoming these obstacles. That is the message of hope. It's not so much that it it happens, but what we do after. I feel like... I mean, that's not to say that TNG didn't have its own message of hope, that there might be a day when we have collectively overcome these things. Maybe a good majority of people, but I think what Picard does show is that it it's not so much about the fact that oh drugs are gone it's okay you do f- addiction is going to hit somebody at some point i'm sorry that's just human nature but redeeming yourself after the fact overcoming that that is a strength that is hope it can happen it will happen it's like you're not punished for falling into here like you are in our current times yeah, yeah. and and and, and Picard is the first Star Trek show to not focus on Starfleet. And now we're seeing those people who are living at the edges. Right. Right. Yeah. So oh. people in Starfleet might be living a relatively clean life- lifestyle in comparison. But that's not to say that all these afflictions, <laughs> for lack of a better word, go away entirely. Like, I, I just really can't totally buy that, unfortunately. Sure. I have some questions about the diplomatic mission that occurred nine years ago that Rios and his captain were on. I'm trying to figure out... So this means that Bruce Maddox was developing Soji-like synths nine years ago, almost a decade ago, that he was that far along in his research. Am I reading that right? That's, that's, seen that that's what I got. Yeah. I mean, that's impressive. I wonder how much more advanced Soji is compared to her sister, Janna. And I'm also wondering, how did Starfleet know that Janna and Beautiful Flower were synths? There was mention of they scanned their, they they sent the scans to Starfleet and something about that was a warning, warning. uh, But that that was something that the crew of the, uh, the ship did not figure out, but Starfleet did. That was weird. Yeah. I wonder if one of the developments Maddox has made in the last decade then is that people like Soji and Daj are able to pass those scans because nothing about them has been apparent to anybody that 
we're aware of so far. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. I love those names. It made me very think of 60s Star Trek with a name like Beautiful Flower. <laughs> Jenna. Um, Space hippies. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but uh, that also made me think, I, I put on the Twitter, I went and watched the first few minutes of the very first episode of Picard again, when Data and Picard are playing poker in his dream. And it brought me back to the uh, five queens of hearts. <gasps> yes. We don't know what that means yet. No, and I, I said back then, and I still say now, like, this cl- well, now it clearly shows it. There are more than just Soji and Daj. Now we know that for sure. So are the five queens five cents? Mm-hmm. Well, we've met or been made aware of at least four of them so far. Soji, Daj, Janna, and Beautiful Flower. And also, I don't know if this is relevant, but I wish I had gone back and rewatched the admonition in slow motion and the glimpses of the past they saw, because I thought I saw a synthetic android morphing into Data's face. They, yeah, that was definitely there. They were definitely trying for that image. I don't know how the admonition has that, since the admonition was created before Data, but maybe Data is the fifth synth. Oh, got it. It's Battlestar Galactica. Everything that's happened before has happened again. Uh, <laughs> or the Matrix. This is the sixth reboot. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that the first episode. I watched that whole scene again. And I was like, there are some very important things here that they showed here that I think might be important. Uh, I know I said, note the cards were shown. We're shown the five queens, uh, queens of hearts, but also we're shown a king of diamonds. Mm. Uh, Picard noted to Data that he, Data, you have a tell. And he knows that Data is made up the tell. Uh, two more. Picard, or Data forces Picard to go all in. And it showed Picard stalling. I feel like these moments are going to recreate themselves in some other way in these next two episodes. I would like to see Picard dream more. (laughs) (laughs) They seem to be very revealing. I mean, it's how he learned that uh, Daj was Data's daughter. I mean, he seems to realize a lot of things in those dreams. Yeah. Also, um, because we still have Jurati speaking to Soji in this episode. Jurati... Uh, it's, it's happening at the same time that Rios and Rafi are talking, so it's kind of interleased bounce back and forth, getting this information. And Gerardi is sitting here marveling at what she sees as a work of art. And she's calling her, like, you are a masterpiece. Soji asks, like, do you see me as human? We never get that answer. Or, or the person. Oh, you see me as a person. And we never get to see that answer. We don't know if Gerardi did not answer, or which I think it is, or it was not shown. But the way the segments were cut, where it was basically continuing most pre- the previous sentence, I don't think Gerardi gave her the answer that she wanted to hear. That's the Im- uh, impression I got, too. It was... <laughs> uh, yeah, Gerardi, as much as she marvels over Soji, uh, yeah, that was very intentional, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, she's always asking all these questions. Do you sleep? She's all like, oh my god, you sleep. Oh my god, you eat. You drink when you're thirsty. Uh <laughs> But she it, still sees a machine. It, sort of like Maddox. How Maddox saw Data. Yeah. Until the very end of that episode. At the end of Measure of a Man, he finally said he referred to Data as a he, not an it. True. Mm-hmm. True. So, yeah, I do find it interesting that we did get that, that cut. I'm assuming it's cut that way on purpose to show that maybe Gerardi still has some reservations, despite the marvel that Soji is. Yeah, and she still has this internal, I saw, the universe destroying itself thing going on in her head. So maybe she couldn't answer. Uh, even That's if she true. Wanted I to. mean, she's got some things going on. Yeah. yeah. I feel and she's like... killed somebody and she's got to turn herself in. She's and got she some thinks things every on her day mind. about committing suicide. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think she's going to be dead by the end of the season. You think so? Maybe sacrifice. Uh, mm, I don't think redeem. it's the... Yeah, I don't think it's the redemption she deserves, but I feel like that's going to happen. Yeah. Do you think she deserves to be redeemed? Potential. I'm all for uh, redemption arcs, but uh, how they go about it is usually difficult in TV. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or media period. I mean, I I myself have been trying to figure out if, I mean, we know there's a second season of Picard. Who is going to make the cut and who isn't? I mean, is this now his crew and he's going to go around space solving mysteries 
with this ship? Yeah, I don't know. Is it going to be a second season with the same story or a second season of a new story? Good question. Uh, Picard and Gerardi. Well, when Picard got back, I found it very much uh, showing his his uh, personality or state where he, Rafi and the EMH are trying to tell him what Gerardi did. And he's, in his head, he's trying to defend her in every possible explanation. He's still trying to find the good in her. And I thought that was a cool scene. Uh, it's very short and brief, but he's sitting here trying to work out, like, no, clearly she was forced into this. She was coerced into this. Was there something. He's trying to find the good in her. And they're like, Picard, just effing listen. <laughs> she tried to kill a man. Right. Again, I think that's the Starfleet in Picard leaking out. Yeah. Because that's exactly what he would have done in TNG. Well, right. Like in the episode The Drumhead, where everybody is seen agents and saboteurs everywhere and he says this is not how starfleet works we can't give in to fear right yeah so he wants to give her the benefit of the doubt because that's exactly what he would have done as captain of the enterprise yeah that's right yeah. we even got a uh, reference to the reliant in this episode <laughs> yeah maybe not it's cool. that reliant but an incarnation yes yeah, when you look at Memory Alpha, there are multiple Reliance. Which one were you referring to, Char? Uh, <laughs> not the one in Star Trek Two. Yeah, any oh, Reliance oh, that was right. not that one. <laughs> Hot that's right. Ice See, I already Hot forgot that that was the Reliance. That's mm-hmm. right. Oh. Uh, any other th- comments and thoughts and about broken pieces? A few short ones. Let's hear them. I, ha- I got a kick out of it when Rafi calls a record player a Walkman. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was so cute. <laughs> Uh, kind of like uh, all the times that Tom Paris was on the holodeck with his cars and Bellana got the names wrong. The Camaro. Right? <laughs> yeah. Or or uh, Neelix with some, needs more jalapenos. I love that. <laughs> uh, Rios has amazing backup way to take back his ship in case he ever lost it. He sings a little lullaby. <laughs> which I thought was fun. Um, I translated it too. Oh, with Google Translate. It's a little lullaby about rice pudding and wanting to get married. What well, says here? Rice pudding wants to get married with a widow from the capital. Who knows to how to knit? Who knows how to embroider? Let him put the needle in his bell. Huh. Do we know if that's a real lullaby? I don't know. I mean, if you Google search the lyrics, do you get any hits? Uh, I can do that while you talk. Okay. You know, one question I had about this episode was, how is Narek still following them if Gerardi destroyed the tracking device? He's just that good? <laughs> I don't know, I wouldn't put man. it past him. I mean, he is Tal Shiar, he's Jat Vash, he has tools at his disposal. But he, he was skills. clearly distraught when Gerardi destroyed the tracking device. So it was clearly throwing a wrench in his plans. Oh, certainly, certainly. So now he is maybe improvising... And does that mean he will eventually not be able to keep up? Will that be his undoing? Will he get lost inside the transwarp hub? Or no, we'll find I out. Didn't, I didn't realize that just any ship could use a transwarp conduit. I don't remember Endgame well enough to say, did they have to like prep the ship oh. to go in? Uh, they had Borg help getting in there. Right. Like seven. And so they like, had, like, here they had Soji yeah. with her Borg weird stuff. And then he could just fall, trail in behind them. But even her initial attempt to go into the transwarp conduit was ill-advised because she hadn't set up any gravimetric shearing, shielding, or whatever. You know, Rios had to remind her, you're about to get us killed if you don't do this right. Right. Um, the, the, uh, the lullaby is a real thing. Oh, good. What's the name of it? Does it have uh, a name? It's Eros con leche, uh, rice pudding. Ah, lovely. Okay, good to know. I think that's what hmm. that stands for. But uh, yeah, I found references like 2013, 2011, 2010, or 1996. So yeah, it's a real cool. thing. Nice. Uh, and we have any listeners are like, oh my God, how did you not know this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering how far away the synth homeworld is that they need a transwarp conduit, because I presume the Romulan fleet is not going to use a transwarp conduit. I assume that Janna and Beautiful Flower did not use a transwarp conduit. We get an answer next week. Oh, yeah, we will. Oh, I mean, but... we get an answer next week. <laughs> and it's it's kind of too bad that Picard, 
you know, he laid all his cards on the table for Admiral Clancy, and she offered him a squadron, and then he doesn't take it. <laughs> yeah, what? Like, people are like, does he even RSVP at Deep Space 12? <laughs> like, let them know, like, because she's like, just sit there. We'll come to you. A squadron is meeting up at the space station. Just sit there. And then they leave immediately. <laughs> yes, I also love that Admiral Clancy dropped yet another F-bomb, and it was fantastic. Yes. With all due respect, and at long last, I love that second part. Like, I've been waiting for this. Uh, even Adrani lets one too, too. She had a moment where like, I finally get a crew and I effing ruin it. Uh, any other closing remarks? Yeah, I got one last thing. I loved it when Picard, he's getting all worked up. They're getting ready to go and uh, blast off. He sits in the chair as if he is in command of this ship. It's not. He his cracks seat. his knuckles. And then he realizes, oh, I can't use the interface. I don't know how to use this. And I don't know if they were going for like kind of like an old man doesn't know how to use a new technology kind of moment. But it was so humbling and it was so well delivered. It was I thought it was cute. So. I love that. Yes. It was great. And like, oh, 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 you can have your chair then. Here you go. <laughs> a huge dramatic moment. The music is swelling. And <laughs> Just, aha, gotcha. <laughs> I thought that was great. Oh, do you think, yeah. so I loved it too, but how would you have felt if he did know how to use it and he did set the ship on its course? It... Not his place. Not yeah. his ship. Yeah. Uh, if I were you, I would have said, uh-uh, out of my chair. <laughs> because I'm sure there are a lot of viewers who are waiting for Picard to take back the captain's seat. Mm, but that's not what this show is. We're not. I hope we don't get that. No, I mean, I agree with you. I'm just saying that there would have been some fan service at play had he known what he was doing. Maybe. I think it was but- more like he, never, he rarely ever flew the ship. In the- anyway, so I think it was more like the, a few episodes ago when he goes, engage. I think yes. that was more the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There- that's what I was going to say, too. There were a few times, I think it was the episode, uh, maybe it was Booby Trap, where he did take the con and he led the Enterprise out of a minefield or asteroid belt. Uh, so it's not unprecedented, but I do absolutely agree. It is rare. And he, that is not the captain's place. Uh, so I, have, I found one note that I missed. It's, it's actually just at this, just before this scene happens. Uh, Picard is having a Doc Brown moment with Rios and tells him the future is left for us to write. Fear is the great destroyer. Uh, or fear is the great destroyer, Rios. Not, and then Soji walks in, and I was like, "Ah, oh. <laughs> see what you I see did what you there. did there." <laughs> yeah. Speak of the devil. Uh-huh. <laughs> Speak of the subcheneb. Mm. <laughs> <sighs> well, I think that wraps us up for broken pieces. We are four fifths of the way through the season. I feel like. I would not have been surprised if this were the penultimate episode and there was just one more where everything comes crashing down on the synth homeworld. I'm really excited that they have two more episodes to really dig into that. I can't wait to see what comes next. Yeah. Oh, I think this these last two episodes will be an explosive, amazing, fun, action-packed conclusion. And I love the fact that we got all of our kind of our stories kind of weaving together in this episode. That is such a novel type of format and especially it's it's very kirsten buyer you can tell it's yes. her at work here tying all these threads together and i have a massive appreciation for her as a writer and as somebody who's working on this show her influence is profound in this working in all the ways that she's not going to get credit for so i just want to put that out there absolutely where do you normally see her work oh Qatar, please phil kenyan <laughs> Well, okay, what happened is she wrote a story in 2005 for Strange New Worlds, which was fantastic, kind of establishing herself as a short story writer. And then in 2009, she took over the Voyager novels, has been writing them since, and even has one uh, yet to be released, I think, later this year. Is that right, Brie? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So she has not stopped, and she's done an amazing job of giving the Voyager crew a whole new life in the novel verse. She's very good at what she does. She, she's basically Voyager and company go back to a Delta Quadrant. And, but she also explores like how Janeway and Chakotay are doing after the fact that they get back, how Seven and Icheb are figuring out life in the Federation. And yes. it's just really well done. It's so well Tom done. And yeah. And they tried to hide Bellana or, or um, their daughter. Uh, yeah. Mirelle. From, 
uh, Narelle from the Terrible Klingons. And so, <laughs> yeah, a lot of things going on, and it's always kind of a uh, uh, what uh, kind of just a tricky maneuver because they're using the slipstream drive to get to and from the Delta Quadrant and the Alpha Quadrant, but there's always a chance they could be stranded yet again because it's not the most stable thing. They can do it, but it's risky. So well, I'm happy to hear that the Voyager novels are doing so well because I read the very first two books set after the end of the series, uh-huh. both written by Chrissy Golden, whose other books I had up until then enjoyed. But the Homecoming two-parter that she wrote, I was very disappointed by, and it stopped <laughs> me from reading any more Voyager novels. The one good thing she did is she had Chakotay and Seven break up, I think, in the first two <laughs> paragraphs of Homecoming. <laughs> So, I mean, she really did us a great service with that. That's all she really needed to do. And the rest of it, fine, whatever. <laughs> Kirsten Beyer, I mean, she doesn't hold a candle with Kirsten Beyer. Agreed, agreed. So and and you, that's not to diss Christy Golden as a writer, because I agree. She, I mean, she's written a whole bunch of other stuff, but maybe that just wasn't the, the best work. choice for her. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, lo- I love her Forgotten Realms novels, and... Uh, this one just didn't work for me. But I have read all the Strange New Worlds compilations, and now I need to go back and remember which ones were written by Kristen. I think yeah. the best way to wrap this all up in the Picard here is if you are enjoying Picard, uh, uh, you could see Kristen Byers' work all over, right? And go to the Voyager relaunch novels, especially um, the one where it starts with uh, Kristen Byer taking over the helm. Like they kind yeah, of full circle. recap what happened. That you're missing, so even if you don't read all of them up to that point, uh, you'll be fine. You'll figure it out real quick. Yeah, start with full circle. That can bring you up to speed, and that in itself is a work of art. It's a really well written book. Yeah, if you love oh, Voyager, read that. Excellent. I'll include a link to that in the show notes, and I will add it to my Goodreads list right after Gideon the Ninth. Thanks. <laughs> Cool. Wonderful. So, Shar, for those of our listeners, which is all of them, who have so enjoyed having you on our show, where can they find you online? Well, if you're not sick and tired of hearing me talk, <laughs> uh, there's a whole bunch of podcasts out there you can listen to. I mentioned them before. Punch It, uh, To The Journey, up to episode 190. Uh, but if you want to talk to me, my handle on Twitter is oh, the profanity, and I'm always game to st- uh, talk Star Trek. You know, and true to your Twitter handle, I need to thank you so much for respecting for for respecting our boundaries on this show today. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to keep it family friendly for you. Unlike Picard, so thank you. <laughs> well, unlike Admiral Clancy. <laughs> All right, so for those who have enjoyed us, you can find more shows, of course, at transporterlock.com. Until next time. We are bored. Hit it. No. (laughs) If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at transporterlock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at transporterlock.com. I need to pause and ask my roommate to stop vacuuming. Or you can continue talking if you like. I'm just going to be AFK again. Mom, I feel she's like that kid in Galaxy Quest right now. (laughs) Right? You have no idea the supreme importance. I do not have time to take out the trash. (laughs) Uh, Wasn't that all of us as kids? I think it was.